From Migration Media, this is Migratory Patterns. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. When I met Kate in Boston in the mid-1990s, she felt, as she says, like a bit of a social outcast. The term TCK was still new, and she was coming to terms with her identity as a kid raised overseas who had moved back to her passport country for college. She's been on a journey to find herself and what home means for her ever since. It's a migration story that's taken her from Hong Kong and Singapore to Boston, then to Beijing, then back to Boston, then to West Hartford, Connecticut, and then with her children in tow to Shanghai, and finally back to Hong Kong again. Has she finally found her place? Could her place be right back where she started? It felt only fair to have Kate on, as her college boyfriend, and now husband, was, well, is my best friend Josh Gardner, who spoke about their family's move from the American dream to the China dream back in episode number 21. It's a must-listen. But honestly, I would have had Kate on anyway, as her story is one that lots of TCKs can probably relate to. She's the flip side to Josh's expat stuck in the U.S. She's the expat who is trying to create a life back home, only to discover that home might not be where or what she thought it was. Kate and I know each other very well, so we pressed each other on some things a little bit more than what you normally hear in my interviews, which is a good thing. I love our talks. She challenges me to think about things in different ways. She got my brain juices flowing in this conversation, and I hope she does the same for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Kate Bailey Gardner. Dr. Kate Bailey Gardner, welcome to Migratory Patterns. Hi, Mike Shaw. It's so good to be here. Where is home? (laughs) Oh, you're starting off with that question. Oh, we're going. Great. Well, um, current home, where we're sitting right now, Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Uh, where else has been home? Because I know there's a lot for you. Mm. And I, and I, and I want to qualify by saying home, not where have you been yeah. or lived. Yeah. Okay. So that, yeah, that will definitely mm-hmm. um, uh, scratch a few destinations off the yes, list. Yes, that would. So I think my heart is still in many ways in Connecticut, mm-hmm. in the U.S., we left uh, Connecticut about six years ago to move to Asia, but we had been there for about 12 years. And that's where my two kids were born. And that's where a lot of my closest friends still are. And I revisit um, every summer. And it just, it feels like a place that I truly belong in so many ways. So yeah, I said Connecticut. Um, before that, Boston. Boston was home for a while. Okay, I'm about to say places that I've lived, but really didn't feel like home, so I won't mention those. And then before that, it was Hong Kong, I would say, um, my childhood in middle school and high school. I lived here with my parents and um, just fell in love. I just felt like a true belonging to this to this space. And, um, and that's it. We moved around a lot prior to that and during my childhood. But Where are some of the places you bounced around? Um, I was born in Connecticut, but we moved to Texas when I was four, and then uh, we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Like George Bush. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We lived in Texas. We lived in North Carolina. Uh, We lived in Hong Kong. I loved, loved, loved Hong Kong. But my last two years of high school, we moved down to Singapore, spent a couple of years there, and then Boston, and uh, then Beijing for a few years, and then back to Boston, and then Connecticut. And then Shanghai. Yeah. Until we finally is... landed back here in Hong Kong. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say something and I wanna know your reaction kind of knee jerk. You're a TCK. Yeah. Yes. Um so in the nineteen late nineteen eighties, I remember my mom um coming home from work. She was a, a teacher at the international school in Hong Kong and she had just been to this professional development 
by the author of the the TCK book, and it had just been published. Oh, that first one. Yeah, the oh. first edition. And she said, you know, there's this new concept. This there's this this name for for kids that have moved around a lot, and they're being you know who are exposed to lots of different cultures, and um, was really fascinated by this idea. And I never really thought of myself as a TCK at that time because I was in an American school. Uh, my both my parents speak English. I didn't feel um, I didn't feel that I was terribly unique compared to some of my classmates. And but it wasn't until really um, college that I thought, oh, you know what? There is something different about me. I don't really. This quite... isn't this isn't just a phase I'm going through. This is who I am. Yeah. Did you come out to your friends? Well, hey everyone, just so you know. I felt I, weird though. I didn't I didn't wear it as a badge of sort of pride at that point. I felt really like a bit of a social outcast in some ways. Well, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a huge population of what you would even call today TCKs or no. even international migrants bouncing around. It was a different no. world. No, and yeah, and then there was no internet, so it was hard to connect even with people um that I had gone to high school with that were off at different colleges around the world. We really couldn't connect and sort of find a common identity with each other because oh gosh that seems like makes me feel very old when i say that but it's true we didn't have that connection so right it wasn't it wasn't and i chose a a, a university um boston university that was i knew would be quite international and would be large enough that i could find you'd blend in i blend in i'd find somebody like me but that even that was hard you know um I, my first two roommates in my freshman year were both from London. I thought, oh, this is great. You know, they also were raised overseas, but they were from the Middle East and they had each other and I didn't really fit in with that culture. And so it was like, okay, this, there's just still something different. How am I going to, where am I going to find my, my tribe? And it's been a lifelong journey in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, uh, we met back in college. <laughs> um, that's how we know each other through. Your husband Josh, who's been on the show, I like. I like to say I've known Josh longer than you have, and <laughs> you have. Uh, <laughs> yep. he's been my friend longer than he's been your friend. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to arm wrestle over that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we met Josh. He's been on the show, and you know he had an interesting journey, which I I often think of you two as. Not polar opposites in terms of who you are as people, because you do make such a great couple. But I do think of you as opposites in terms of how you approach living overseas. He's mm. very much at home being an overseas person. Mm. And you fought against it for quite a while. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, I, I'm pretty sure that you were the reason that you were in Connecticut for so long. <laughs> <laughs> you would be correct. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I remember back in those days and, and I, and this is something we, We've talked about before. You and I, we talk a lot because um, mm. we, you know, commiserate over having to be in a relationship with your husband. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that part out. <laughs> but uh, we, we've talked about this a bit, but not in a long time, actually, since I've been an expat, since I've been a migrant. Mm. And I think about going back and I can't imagine it. But I also grew up in that place. But you, I remember going back, what or not going back, I should say being back, because you yeah. were there at the time. You did come back, you did come to Beijing with Josh for a while. And then what was the draw? Why did you want to stay in, forget New England or Connecticut, just yeah. America? Um, well, I think there, there were two. The practical, sort of um, obvious reason at the time was for graduate school. Mm-hmm. 
I realized what I wanted to do for my career and I needed a master's degree to do that at least. And so part of it was, was that, but the other part was that I was craving roots and this idea of going back to a geographical location that uh, was as good as any. I had Connecticut on my birth certificate. Why not go back there? I at least had a start. <laughs> it wasn't like picking a place off a map, but in some ways it was. I didn't ha- have any real connection. My grandmother and a few aunts and uncles, but nobody I was terribly close with at the time. Did you ever consider like uh, Hong Kong or Singapore, any of the places you'd lived before? Was this like a li- you went down the list? Where have I been and where can I put down roots? Or was it always just a feeling of Connecticut or U.S. or whatever? Well, I, I think it was it was definitely an emotional decision. P- part of it was grad school. The other part of it was my dad's health wasn't great at that time. And he and my mom had just moved back to Connecticut. And I thought, you know, I really want to be, I want to be close to my parents. And uh, I was in my mid-20s. Uh, Josh and I had just gotten married. And I also thought, I want to have a family. I want to start, um, I want to start to build a community, a sense of home. And bouncing around, we, Josh and I thought about doing some investments at the time where we would flip houses. I love real estate. I love design. I thought, oh, well, you know, I'd, this would be really fun. But the idea of moving every two years, even in a, in the same state, just it was completely unappealing. I wanted a backyard that I could watch the perennials change every year and that I could um, paint the walls and renovate in a way that that was to my taste. And and I just, I loved my having a home that I owned. It wasn't renting. It was my house. And I had a dog that to me symbolized permanency and domesticity. So I think it was definitely this feeling of, I don't want to be a nomad. I don't want to be, um, you know, I, I didn't have this, this wanderlust. I was really quite content being home and, just watching the seasons pass by my window. Hmm. Yeah. So this, uh, we have talked about this before, and we actually just talked about it a little bit before we got on this, uh, the microphone here. I think of this, and it's so funny. I, whenever we talk, hmm. I can't help, because I know you're psychoanalyzing everything. It's just not because you're like looking to figure out people, but it's just what you do. You're trained, right? So it's, you know, but I, I think I tend to think about reasons and, and causality. And I think about that experience you had when you moved from overseas to the U.S. You had just finished high school, I guess. Um, back in after after high school after at, Singapore, yeah, that's yeah. when you moved back. Yeah, for and, college. Yeah, yeah. And you told the story about how you went to go see a therapist because oh. you're having integration issues. Can you tell <laughs> right. about what what happened with that? Sure. So I have a sister who's two years younger than me. So my dad was transferred back to the U.S. after I graduated from high school in Shang- in Singapore, and um, my poor little sister had two more years of high school to go. So she was dreading this idea of having to find her way in a in a big US high school. And this was the early 90s. Early 90s, yeah, yeah 93. And um there's no language about TCKs yet or like not 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 that's generally understood or in the pop culture or Not in the pop culture. Yeah, yeah. And this was a nice my parents moved to a nice town in northern New Jersey. These were not country bumpkins. These were pretty sophisticated people, you know, a lot of New York influence. You would think like they would have some at least appreciation or for awareness. People. Or awareness, yeah. right? So my sister and I moved back, and we definitely felt a little out of it. Neither of us had our driver's license. We'd only seen maybe one or two episodes of Seinfeld, <laughs> which really made us a little weird at the time. Um, we didn't really know a lot of the pop music. We were just um, 
we were just feeling a little out of place. And so my, my mom had this great idea to, to connect us with a local counselor, like a psychologist who could talk to us about these feelings that we were having about fitting in and, and, and kind of finding our way back into, you know, American life. And so my sister and I went together. We go to this lady's house and we're waiting in the waiting room. She finally lets us in. And we sit there and said, well, what can I do for you girls? And she said, well, we said, well, we just moved back to the U.S. We've been overseas for, you know, about five or six years. And we were just, we loved living overseas, but we're having a hard time now. You know, we, we, we're American. We're back in America. It shouldn't feel this weird. But for some reason, it just, there's something, we're struggling for some reason. And she, and she just kind of scrouched, scrunched up her face and she said, well, why exactly were you living in Singapore? And we said, well, my dad's company, you know, was, he was corporate. Now, Courtney and my sister and I didn't think anything of this because all of the kids we went to school with, all of their parents were working and living overseas. This, we were, we felt like that was pretty mainstream. It's normal. It seemed normal to us, but not to this woman. And she just looked at us and she said, I, I don't know what to tell you. I think it's absolutely shameful that your parents would do that to the two of you. And my sister and I looked at each other like, are, are we in the twilight zone? What, did she just really say that? And we spent the next 40 minutes defending my mom and dad's decision to move us overseas and, and trying to convince her that it was an amazing experience. So we left really, really torn because, you know, here we were, we, we absolutely valued and, and celebrated the experiences that we had and the traveling we got to do and the interesting people we got to meet. But we, but we were still like, oh, but now what do, what do we do about this fact that we, we really don't have much in common with the kid down the street? And so, yeah, it, it was that, that, that is, um. I think that's a trigger. Hmm. I think that's it. I think that for me, I see that as being very formative. And I see that as I can understand why that would make you want to be like, I'm not going to go through this again. I'm going to put down, I'm going to show all you people. I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to live here and I'm an American and I'm entitled to this life just as much as you are. And my (laughs) parents didn't screw me up. I'll show you. You know, that could have been a part of it. However, Mm -hmm. I went to college and I thought, I want to go back overseas. Really? I want to go back to Asia. Well, I remember you went over with Josh back to Beijing. But before I even met Josh, I had enrolled myself in Mandarin classes. Oh, I didn't know that. That's how Josh and I met. I, I didn't know that. You didn't. Well, ah. I probably knew at the time, but I was drinking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we, As we all were. <laughs> we were a couple of the a few. Um, yeah. There weren't that many um, students at BU who didn't have Chinese um, heritage that were actually enrolled in the Mandarin classes. So we were like, oh, what are you, what are, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Um, but my idea was I want to get back to Asia, but... I'm going to have to find my own way now. I'm not going to be someone's daughter, you know, on their on their ticket. You know, mm-hmm. I've got to figure out how can I independently find my way back. So I thought at the time I'd go into diplomacy. I thought, oh, if I learn Mandarin, I'll go to, go to Fletcher School of Diplomacy at Tufts, right? And I thought, that's a great plan. And that's what ended up, that's why I went to Beijing. I thought I'm going to really hone in on my Chinese skills and um, took an internship at the embassy. And spoke to enough people at the State Department to help me learn that it was not the career I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You're the the second person I've spoken to recently who has had that very similar experience. Really? Yeah. They Well, this person was actually in the U.S. and, you know, went through the application process, the testing, interviewing, the vetting. And he'd already lived in China for a while. And Mm. he was fluent in Mandarin. And he says to them, okay, so 
you know, when, you know, what, what's this going to be about? And they said, well, you know, we're going to send you over to maybe Africa or something. And he's like, wait a minute. I've been living in China. I speak Chinese. Why would you not want to send me to China? All that time and investment. Exactly. And they say, well, that's not how we do it. We won't, we don't hire, quote, hire local. And he's like, I'm American. Ugh. You know, so it's just screwed up. It's just, it's just, uh, I, I've spoken to so many people who have been wanted to get involved in foreign service in the U.S. and it's just, just doesn't work the way it should. Well, and even just, I think for me, the idea of moving around every three or four years, just that the thought of it, even at 23, just exhausted me. Well, you've that, been, you've been doing it your whole life. Right. This, this is what I mean. I, I think, yeah. I think this is, you know, it, for me, it seems natural to you. It's like that, those years, how long you were in Hartford for 12 years? 12. 12 years. West Hartford. Yeah. Well, here, I, I mentioned this, to, I mentioned this in my interview with Josh too. You actually did what you set out to do. You achieved the American dream. You had I the did. house. You had the starter home, then you traded up. You had the white picket fence. You had <laughs> two cars, two point three kids. You had the dog. You lived in the original suburbia yep. in, in New England. Could walk to the post. You office. Could walk to the post office. We walked to the wow. center to, to go to the nice restaurants. I mean, you did it. I did. And then you came over here, back over to Asia. So that was that was a um, that was a labor of love. Yes. So we're living in Connecticut. I, at that point, I had gotten my doctorate in psychology. I was working in the local schools, loving, loving my life, had my two kids, great group of friends. Now, if you had asked me at the time, if we had had this sort of interview, I probably would have told you that even then, even though I looked the part, you know, driving the car to the, you know, the play groups and, you know, like I had it, I definitely looked the part, but I still always felt like an outsider looking in on, on, on those suburban, people. I remember going down there and visiting you. And, and I mean, I was an outsider. My, I'm from the inner city and I'm yeah. going to this, you know, yeah. up, upper middle class suburbia. And I remember whenever we were together at your place, it would always feel like we were kind of in on a joke that no one else was. Yes. Like, can you believe they let us in here? Yes. Well, and, and I was kind of, I, I, no, I was in on the joke too. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I know, what am I doing here? Yeah. Like, and These I think, people have no idea who we are. No, they really didn't. Yeah. And in some ways, I kind of, I was, you know, this is what a TCK life, um, I think teaches young people at an early age is to be a chameleon. Yes. You know, I've spoken with several and the word cultural chameleon has come up. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I, although, although, there was a lot of authenticity. I mean, I really loved that lifestyle, but in some ways I I was playing a role and I was enjoying it. But I remember I renovated a kitchen once and I put these like very neutral white tiles as a backsplash. And somebody, somebody came in and was commenting on, on my choice. And I said, well, it's important because, you know, when we sell the house, I want the next buyer to be able to come in and choose whatever accent colors they want and this this neighbor of mine said oh you're so charming you're so funny listen to you the when you when you move away <laughs> like she really didn't believe that this was temporary for me right like that life it, it looked so permanent well, to them also what else is there right like that in that, oh, no, in that scenario yeah mm-hmm. and i love those friends and i and i i go back and those are those are my soul sisters, you know, the, the, the women in that, in that town, like we had our kids together. We went through the, the ups and downs of early parenthood together and the fears and the concerns. And just, we really leaned on each other so much. And I can, I can, they don't really understand my life so much. They try, but they haven't been here. They haven't visited yet, but I can understand their life. And so I yield and I, you know, use that great chameleon talent of mine, you know, to go back and I can just kind of fit back in when I need to. But I don't know if, um, well, I think being married to Josh, I don't, I don't think we could have stayed and for, for everyone to have been happy. 
So that's what happened. So in, in 2012, he was starting to realize that his business, which was based in Beijing and Shanghai, really needed him to be closer. He was working so hard to, to run it from Connecticut, but it was just becoming super taxing. And, um, so I don't know if he would have pulled the trigger if I hadn't done that for us. Um, I put the house on the market, sold. To- I remember he called me. Oh my God. Yeah, she said I can come. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I look back. So we waited until our little one was three. Cause at the time we thought we might be moving to Beijing. And I thought, Oh, if that's the case, I want her to, I don't want her, I don't want to bring an infant to Beijing you know, with the air quality. And I was concerned about that. So we waited until she was about three and then we just did some market analysis and Shanghai just seemed to be a good fit for us at the time. And I sold the house and, um, he made all the business arrangements and had a huge, huge tag sale and sold our rakes and snowblowers. And <laughs> oh, it, it was very bittersweet, but I knew you literally sold off your suburban experience. I, oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I mean, I don't think the town had ever seen anything like it. I think people drove by just because it looked like, like, what? <laughs> did, they- <laughs> did they go bankrupt? Yeah, Is did there they a problem? Lose everything? Did someone die? I'm sure rumors were flying. Yeah. It, it didn't. This was not your typical scene. And um, we filled we filled one of those pods. You know, have you ever seen those pods oh, yeah. in the U.S.? Yeah. You know, it's just like smaller than a 20-foot container. We filled one of those, and that was pretty much everything that we owned at that point. Everything else was gone. So this uh, this is why I I I love your guys' story because you did you actually did both tracks you know you did it in the beginning in terms of you grew up as the TCK but you actually did the American Dream thing then you were like okay yeah, yeah we've done this now let's go do the thing the other thing now I, and I'm and I'm so glad because I don't think I could be as embracing of this lifestyle right now if we if we hadn't had that hmm. I love those memories I love that we did it. Um, it was interesting, though. The timing was right. We had this beautiful golden retriever, remember? And oh, yeah. We named her Asia. Asia was great. Asia Rose. Well, she she was almost 13, and she actually died naturally the summer we moved to Shanghai. Like, it was, it was just, the, the, it almost seemed like the time was up. Like, okay, here's your experience, and, you know, you've, now you've wrapped it up. You lived a dog's life. We lived a dog's life. Yeah. So, I'm going to challenge you on something. You said live this lifestyle. I would I would say it's not a lifestyle. I would say it's who you are. I know it's who Josh is. Ooh. Yeah. And I think it's something I discovered about myself that it's who I am. Now, this is not to say that I can't or won't ever, quote, settle down in one place later. Mm. But I think I can't imagine going back to the place I came from. I can't imagine putting down even semi-permanent roots in any one place. Like, mm. I'm open to a possibility if we end up somewhere and we just decide this is our community, this is our place. Like, I'm open to that. But I don't, I can't even imagine that scenario. I just feel like being out, being a migrant is just part of who I am. Now, we're lucky, we're Western, we're Caucasian, we have agency and we can do this. Yeah. And I understand that. But at the same time, I feel like there is a part of me that this is who I am and I discovered it. And I would say... It's part of Josh. Josh recognized it in me. Yes. He saw it in me. And he, cause when I told him that I was moving overseas and no one else really gave it much credence, he knew from the moment I said it, he knew. And I think he recognized something in my brain that was in his brain. And I've seen it in him too, especially after he moved back. I'm sorry. After I moved mm-hmm. here and then I went back and I saw him. I understood. I said, he is an expat living in the U.S. Yes. And I knew it. 
Yes. And we debate, I mean, Josh and I like that is probably our only real source of, um, you know, I don't know, friction, I guess. That's, it's a difference. I, I don't know if it is, is me, you know, is mm-hmm. with a capital IS. I don't know. You came to dinner a year or two ago, and we had a great conversation about um, the idea, the concept of community. Yes. And it was almost exactly a year ago, actually. Was it a year ago? Yeah. And I love that conversation because that is, I hadn't, I hadn't had that opportunity to, to talk about that. I don't think anyone else had conceptualized or had really thought about it like I have, except for you. And I, I really valued that. And actually, Josh and I make reference to that conversation. Um, this idea that, you know, well, what is community? Because I think that if I felt that I had that community, I could, I would be probably a bit more content in this this migratory life. Well, for me, that's the whole point of my conversations is I'm trying to find this. I'm, I'm fine. I shouldn't say I'm trying to find it. I should say I see it in so many people, but we don't talk about it. And the whole point of migration media is to try to actualize it in some way that we can grasp at it. Like we don't I, have TV shows. We don't have no. music pro, you know, movies. We don't have anything cultural ephemera that we can identify with. We don't see ourselves reflected. No. And that makes it now we go to certain places and there are international communities and we know how to plug into them because we just, we've done this for our lives or for some portion of our lives. So we know how to do it, but that's not the same. It's, you feel like you're out just in the ocean looking for ports, Yes. but you don't understand that there are all these other boats around you and they're really close and they're all doing the same thing. So you don't have that sense of community. That's it. And there is a need for that. Now, I think we're very lucky in our modern age, we have the tools we can more easily find and identify each other, but we don't do it. We don't have, we don't have the, that's the step we haven't taken yet. You know, and, and how to, like, for me, I think I, I, I um, um, idealize the sense of community that I don't have, that perhaps if I had grown up in the same small town in Connecticut, or if I had stayed there to raise my children, there would be this, this sort of cluster of people who would just know me over the years. And there'd you be- do have that, but they're all over the place. Okay, so so then I would maybe argue that because they're all over the place, they're actually not really here. This is something that our generation struggles with because we didn't grow up doing this in the era where it was easier. Yeah. So people doing this now, and the population is is booming of of international migrants and expat kids and TCKs and all this stuff. They're booming right at the time when it is easier to do this. And I, and I'm talking about in terms of maintaining connections and community. You can leave your home in quotes, fly around the world to live somewhere. Mm-hmm. When you get off the plane, you can pull out your phone, right. dial up whoever you just left at the airport right. and talk to them live real time right. in video. And it costs nothing. So you conf- don't, I think it's confusing to the psyche though. It is. It, well, I- it is. I mean, that, that, that is a temporary kind of thing. But the issue doesn't go away that you are separated. But what I'm saying is that those same tools allow you to maintain the connections and the community feel even after you might even move to a different location or someone else transitions out. Like I just had dinner last night here in Hong Kong with, you know, four other people or yeah, four other people who I spent four or five years in Beijing with bonded really closely with my, some of my closest friends. They just happen to be here in Hong Kong. Hmm. And we picked up like nothing had happened. And I, like, I know that whenever I come to Hong Kong, I have a community here. 
I have you guys. I have them. There's a couple other people. If I go to Shenzhen, I have a community there. I feel like I have a community everywhere, not just of fellow migrants, but of people I know. So I, I think I need to ex- honestly expand my understanding and my ex- what I accept community to be. Um, cause, you know, Josh does not feel that he lacks community. And it's interesting in, in Beijing. Now we, we haven't been in Hong Kong that long. It's about less than two years right now. We were in Shanghai for four. And I, I, I always think like if something were to happen to the, uh, you know, one of our children or me, like, you know, medically or we needed help of some sort, are, do we have a community of people who emotional would, support, emotional support, connections to help us, you know, solve this issue, whatever. And I think Shanghai, we, we had it. And you know, primarily through his group, um, I'm far more introverted, and I'm surrounded by a lot more people than him in so many so many ways. But I sort of tend to close myself in, and I think that's a self protective mechanism mm-hmm. that definitely stems from childhood, having to move every few years. What's the point? It's just going to be painful to have to this be ripped so, away it, from new f- other friendships and boyfriends. Make, and yeah. you're making me think about this now. It, it seems like when you were when you were a TCK, this term was brand new, yeah. just coming out, and th- there weren't the tools available. Now, if you go to these schools, they know how to deal with this. They they understand how to communicate with children and foster their emotional development in such a way that it compensates for or incorporates the reality of this absolutely we 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 label it we um we uh validate these feelings we um educate we are you know really helping parents and kids this didn't exist for you no yeah not at all there was no there was no way to formulate you know uh, you know, conceptualize what all these emotions meant, what all this you know confusion around friendships meant. I feel very lucky that I do have a couple of good friends from high school left. You know that that we were able, Geraldine, oh yeah, a good friend of yours too. Um, we were all friends in Boston. You know, the, the, to, to build on that over the years has has been you know a real joy because prior to that. It was very much like, okay, you know, moving on. And that, I think, just didn't really work well with my temperament and my personality. So now the big question for me is how to, how am I giving my children enough stability? You know, are they building a community around them? Okay, I'm going to stop you here. Okay. So um, I'm going to bring up something I've mentioned on the show before because I had had almost this exact conversation with some Western teachers. Okay. And we talked about this uh, after my interview with Tanya Crossman, episode 19. Everyone listened to it. Uh, And she talked about how expat kids, TCKs, migrant children, they, once they get into their 20s and 30s, at a rate of 85 to 90%, they say... They value who they are. They recognize it was good to grow up as a TCK, as a migrant kid. They see it as a positive in their lives. Mm. And they don't feel a sense of this sense of kind of longing or, or that they were missing something. I brought this up to a group of Western teachers and they were all like, but they don't have this. And, oh, they don't have this. And a lot of it was stability and roots and community uh-huh. and all this. And then I and I was kind of nodding my head. and I said, well, wait a minute. Listen to what we're doing. We are talking about what we had growing up and we right. are imposing it on true, them. True. What ki- whatever is happening to a kid is normal because that's all they that's know. That's their normal, yeah. Right? Yep. So I think we have to be careful about 
you can do it. I'm not telling you to be careful with your kids or your kids. You can do whatever you want with them. But I'm saying I think it's 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 important that we consider that when we start to talk about things like TCKs and kids growing up overseas, they need, quote, stability and whatever. You know, what does that mean to us versus what does that mean to them? Right. For for me, when I think about it, it's 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 the it's the friendships. Right. I you know it's hard to grow up, and it's nice to. I like the idea that my my kids will be around the same kids. You know, they may grow apart, they may come back together, but they, they're sort of known. Maybe that's what it all comes down to. It's just being seen and being known. Yeah. It's it's not being anonymous, and I think so much of my life overseas, I just, I felt a bit, I felt a bit anonymous, a little bit invisible, which sometimes I really love. I love just retreating and just not having any obligation towards people. You and my wife are very similar. You're an introvert living an extrovert lifestyle. Yeah. And, and, and it's a very introvert, it's a very extroverted lifestyle. You, you have to be at some level, some kind of extrovert because you can't survive. Like you're talking about community. You can't build community no. when you're living overseas if you're not out there. I know. And if you don't build that community, you're going to just feel real. It's just it's a spiral. So that's that's where I am. Yeah. So <laughs> let's get you out of the shame spiral. Wait, why shame? Well, I mean, it's you're going to feel you start to feel bad about how okay, I feel bad about my situation, but my situation is great. Now I feel bad about feeling bad about the situation that's great. And yeah, well, for sure that you know you think, oh gosh, you know, I've got, look at this beautiful lifestyle I have. Yeah. Look where I get to. Why live. am I miserable? Yeah. And I'm miserable because I'm miserable. That's what I mean. Well, yeah. yeah, okay. So, so that and and I'm coming out of that because I, you know, I know so much is a choice, but when it kind of does go against your natural uh, or your nature, rather, to you know, to kind of be forced to create that community as opposed to just uh, just kind of melting in and folding into it over time, which is definitely my <laughs> preferred method of building community. There's um, nothing wrong with that either. No, there's no, there's not. And I absolutely don't think there is. Hmm. But I think that um, I joke with Josh. I'm like, gosh, if you were just a you know, small town accountant, <laughs> a family physician in West Hartford Center. Why couldn't you have been a doctor? <laughs> I know, right? Poor guy. He's living his dream. And I'm like... And the thing is, you know, I, I have this great versatile skill set, you know, where I can move around and work in schools or, you know, someday maybe a private practice. And, I, you know, it's, you know, I, it's, I have no practical reason to be back in the States. I mean, I can live my professional dreams wherever. Um, but there is something about um, it, 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 it doesn't, it, it, I don't wear it as naturally as Josh does, let's say this this and that's i think that's why i call it a lifestyle because mm. i don't know if it's really me you i think i now i only say this and i only challenge because i know you mm. but I, I feel like i feel like it's it's i see it within you like you are a natural living overseas when i actually when i met you i thought you were very sophisticated <laughs> Um, I was like, who's this? Why is she with Josh? Like, <laughs> oh, poor Josh. <laughs> well, to be fair, he's thought pretty much the same of me, but every woman I've ever been with. <laughs> Even with some great girls. I yeah. know. Um, but yeah, so I, I happen to think that this is who you are. It might not be who you would have been. Mm. Had you not had this life thrust upon you. Mm, true. And I think maybe that's the conflict. I think maybe there is, you would have been just fine and you would have flourished. And, uh, you know, there's a sense of you, if I grew up as a small town girl mm. in Connecticut or whatever, yeah. that would have been just fine. And you know it, but you didn't. Yeah. 
Right. And now you naturally know how to and can thrive in this other lifestyle. But there's this other part of you that says, yeah, but you didn't have to do. We could. We could have, right. You know? Right. So do, do you know, you know, we um, we're building a house. Oh, yes. I, yes, yes. So that um, I think has been a really nice sense of. Ah, so we have this little piece of earth somewhere yes. and it's it's ours and, you know, I can go there and it's my you know retreat from from the world. I, you know, I've, this comes up quite a bit in our conversations is that what as migrants, as international migrants, as expats, we don't have the clear signposts. Right. This is what you do when in your 20s and this is, you know, this is when you buy your house and this is when you get married. This, you actually did that True. and you you lived within those kind of guardrails which is they're very subliminal no one's telling you you can't do things they say mm. you can do anything you mm. want but really the cultural sign markers are these are the stages of life and these are the events you have oh, to yeah. have right yeah. but when you're out here we don't have that no. there is no cultural ephemera telling you sense of normal uh, or yeah, routine or exactly yeah. so th- there's no one to look to to say oh everyone around me is having kids by 30 so i need right. to do it too that's true so the question then becomes how do we figure out what's next and your what's next involves planting your flag somewhere which is interesting well, so we we, we 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 chose this place very strategically because mm-hmm. um, if we ever wanted to sell it, we'll, we'd be able to sell it very easily. So, because even even though I say I want to, you know, maybe um, you know have this place for the next twenty years, there's a part of me that thinks, oh, West Coast might be fun someday <laughs> too, or you know, maybe we buy a place down. You know, this is what I mean. You've got you you got this duality. I do. You. I it's a very I'm very conflicted on so many levels. We we bought the house or we bought the property in New York because my parents are close by. It's close to Connecticut, and I can it, it'll satisfy that need to be near family and friends. But if that should ever change, you know, as, as the years go on. I don't know if I'd stay, but there's a part of me that wants to be known by the local, yeah. you know, the, the, the fresh market people. Yeah. And I want to ride my bike and wave to the neighbors on the porch. And I just, I guess, you know, I wanting to be known and seen. Um, I, I don't know. I, this is so this is I think a natural desire humans have we want community. Yeah. I think we just need to I sh- I shouldn't say we just need to. I think the challenge that we face as migrants is figuring out how to satisfy that desire, how to fulfill that need in the life that we live. That's it. Yeah. So I I think I've I have found it through um my meditation community. That has been a, a big one for me the past couple of years where I feel I feel connected with that. Um, I've, I've, I have made a couple of good friends, just a couple, but that is, that's enough that, that just makes me feel like, okay, these, these people know me, they love who I, you know, they love me for who I am and I love them for who they are. And you know, I have that person on the other end of the phone if I'm having a bad day and I need to be cheered up, you know, there's a, there's a sense of, of, um, of connection. So it sounds to me like what you need is an escape hatch and that's what you're building. Yeah. And I and, and I yeah. think and I think even if you escape move it's exactly it's like a panic room. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> I'm going. I got to get there quick. <laughs> I need to put down roots so we got a place. <laughs> but at the same time once you get there you're going to need another you're going to need some other safety valve so that other part of you when you start getting yeah. that wanderlust that oh maybe this part is good too you're going to need some something that tells that part of your brain that it's possible. Mm-hmm. So, so um, the other Josh and I've had some. God, you're expensive. <laughs> oh, I know. No, 
I, I just work mean, for it. <laughs> no, I just mean, I just, I'm also thinking of myself too, because this is going to happen to me. Yeah. You know, there'll be a point where I'm going to, this will happen to all of us, where you can't move forever. At least the systems don't exist to make it possible. There is a point where you're going to have to sit down and be in a place just because you physically can't be moving around all the time. Right. Um, there is a, some countries have legal working age limits. Right. And, there are some physical realities that hit you. And then what do you do? What does that mean? I don't know. Yeah. And I'm not ready to think that far ahead. No, although... it's not about thinking that far, but it's just about. It is about financial freedoms though, right? Yeah. And, well, there's and... finance, there's agency, there's privilege, but there's also just the reality of you need community to survive. There is a yes. physical reality to and that. I think I see that with my parents in this town that we bought the land and that they 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 take care of each other. And, you know, it's small town stuff sometimes. And I, but I find it charming. Maybe because it's, you know, it's not something I've ever grown up with. I'm like, oh, just like the shows, just like the movies, you know, <laughs> they get annoyed with each other and they, you know, but they're, they're there for each other. And, um, that, that, I, I want that. I want to ensure that I have that when the time comes. I think you need to figure out how to get that now mm. and how to ensure you have it in the future. I think then you'll be fine. That's my psychoanalysis. You know, can we can we make like a weekly arrangement? <laughs> There'd be a piece of money in it for you. <laughs> this is very therapeutic, actually. <laughs> well, that's that's what I. Well, okay. So you say that flippantly, and and I and I don't disagree with the sentiment. But at the same time, we don't have outlets to talk about this stuff. No, I don't. say this to people all the time. Like, you don't go to a bar and sit down and hang out with your friends and say, "Hey, what do you think about your identity as an as an mm-hmm. overseas person?" Mm-hmm. Last night when I had you know, dinner with my Beijing friends, they kind of were asking me what I was up to. I told them about the podcast and what it's about. And everyone Mm. wanted to kind of be like, wow, I don't think about that either. And I said, yes, how often do we, you, you, we're sitting down at this table at dinner at a nice bar and we're talking about it. How often do you do that? Never. You know? No, I I think this is is so important because I feel like also we get caught up with the the everyday um, kind of angst about sometimes living overseas and just the, you know, or the common conversation is how long do you plan to be here? Mm-hmm. You know, what is your, where's your next kind Everyone's, of we've got, we've got the first five questions. Everyone knows it. Everyone, <sighs> where, where are you from? How, where do you do? And how I'm long tired. you been here? I don't, I don't really want to go anywhere at this yeah. point. Yeah. I really do want to make, make a home for myself. And, um, I don't know, but, 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 but is that this, this, you know, Hong Kong is, it's, you know, it, it's it's not home. I mean, it, it's tied to employment, right? It's tied to opportunity. Um, Maybe this is what you need to do. You need to kind of resolve what home means to you, and can you have that anywhere, or do you have to have it in a specific place? Well, and place? I think that's where the meditation has really been helpful because it, you know, it is all about being present and just being open and to 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 receive just you know joy and peace wherever you are at that particular moment. I've never allowed that to happen. I've always felt like I've had to have all, um, everything lined up just so in order to finally say, okay, I can relax now. Mm. And the way, you know, my life is going, there's no guarantee. I mean, there's really no guarantee for anybody, right? right? But there's no guarantee of where I'm going to be a year from now necessarily. So I better find that joy here right now. Yeah. Find it in whatever you're doing. In whatever I'm doing. Yeah. And so maybe the definition of community and the definition of home is less important than just the feeling that I am here now and life seen. is good now and I'm seen now and just accept what is. Well, I see you, Kate. <laughs>
<laughs> I love you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Kate Bailey Gardner, thank you so much for your time. I uh, hope you're not billing by the hour. <laughs> I don't know. Am I paying you for this? I, I, I think it should go that way this time. <laughs> well, we'll just call it even then. <laughs> Done. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, there you have it. I'm just loving these conversations. They're getting better and better. Just as a reminder, if you want to go back and hear the other side of Kate's story about moving from the U.S. to China, you can check out Josh Gardner's interview. That's episode number 21. Just scroll back in your feed and listen to it. I think you really love it. I want to hear your comments and your feedback and your opinions on this interview. I want to hear about the topics that you want to hear me talk about. I'd love some interview suggestions. And most of all, I just want to know what you think of the show. Feel free to reach out on Twitter. You can find me at at ZAX2000. And of course, by email, that's best, mike.shaw at migrationmedia.net. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.